President, officer, I'll give a very short update on uh, today's statistics and some other developments. Uh, the total number of cases reported yesterday was 958. Uh, that's 4.3% of all tests reported. Uh, the total number of cases, therefore, is now 97,720. Uh, there are 982 people currently in hospital, that's nine fewer than yesterday, and 69 people in intensive care, which is one more than yesterday. Um, and I regret to report that in the past 24 hours, a further 51 deaths were registered of patients who first tested positive in the previous 28 days. Uh, the total number of uh, people who have died uh, under that daily measurement is now 3,848. And of course, I want to convey my condolences again to everyone who has been bereaved. It will also shortly publish the latest estimate of the R number, and we expect it will show that the R number continues to be just below one, um, and that provides some further evidence that the current restrictions in place are having the desired effect. Uh, and that of, uh, is, of course, why we confirmed on Tuesday that there would be no uh, change to the current levels of restrictions for each local authority area. Of course, we will report uh, on the latest weekly review uh, next Tuesday. Uh, there are three other points I want to very briefly draw to Parliament's attention. Uh, the first relates to schools. Uh, there has been discussion over the past week about whether any changes were required to the upcoming school holiday period. I can confirm uh, that there will be no changes to school holidays. The Deputy First Minister has this morning written to the Education Committee, providing them with a copy of the advice we received from the COVID Advisory Group Subcommittee on this matter. Uh, the second issue relates to evictions. The Scottish Government uh, took early action to effectively ban evictions during the pandemic uh, that were a result of COVID. Um, and the legislation which does that isn't in place until March 2021. Uh, however, this doesn't apply to eviction actions raised before the pandemic, and this is something that has been raised in the Chamber by Andy Whiteman, Pauline McNeill and others. Uh, so the Housing Minister, Kevin Stewart, has now decided to go further in providing safeguards, and I can confirm that we will introduce regulations to legally prevent any eviction notices being enforced during the six-week period from 11th December to 22nd January, unless there are uh, exceptional circumstances, such as anti social or criminal behaviour or cases of domestic abuse. And finally, presenting officer, uh, let me just highlight that the Health Secretary will make a statement later today updating MSPs on our plans to vaccinate people against COVID. Uh, and we are preparing for the first vaccinations in Scotland to take place next Tuesday. Uh, that will be a significant landmark in our collective struggle against the virus. And although we still have difficult months ahead, the awareness that vaccination is starting will, I'm sure, make many of us feel more hopeful uh, as we enter the Christmas period. And the prospect of vaccination and with it a return to something more like normality should also give us a further incentive in the weeks ahead to keep ourselves and loved ones safe. And as ever, all of us can play our part in doing that by sticking to the current rules and guidelines. So let me end uh, by asking people to continue to do so. Uh, the postcode checker on the Scottish Government's website is there for anybody who doesn't know what the rules are in their own area. But in general, please don't visit other people's homes, stick to the travel advice and follow facts, face coverings, avoid crowded places, clean your hands and surfaces regularly, keep two metre distance from people in other households and self-isolate and get tested if you have symptoms. Thank you very much, First Minister. So we turn now to First Minister's questions. I would encourage all members who wish to ask a supplementary. I'll take them at the end, but press your button as soon as you wish. And I call Ruth Davidson. Thank you, Presiding Officer. The approval of the Pfizer-BioNTech coronavirus vaccine for widespread use is the news that millions of people across the country have been waiting for. Now we need to make sure it gets out to people as quickly and efficiently as possible. First, as we all know, the vaccine needs to be stored in specialist freezers at an ultra-low temperature of minus 70 degrees Celsius. Yesterday, the Public Health Minister announced that three of the 23 freezers published by the Scottish Government are going to the Highlands. So can the First Minister confirm how many freezers each of the other health board areas will receive under the Scottish Government's plan and whether they are all already in place? First Minister. Um, I will make sure that we put a list of the exact locations and exactly uh, where they are in, in, in getting there, but there will be a, a freezer, uh, 23 freezers that will be sited in NHS board vaccine deployment centres in every uh, NHS board. Uh, and uh, the first vaccines uh, that are delivered, and we are expecting to get in the region of 65,500 uh, doses of the vaccine uh, by uh, next Tuesday. Um, one of the issues that is not yet certain and is subject to ongoing discussion with the MHRA is the ability to move the vaccines uh, from these ultra-low temperature freezers to, for example, care homes. Um, and while that may not be possible immediately, 
it uh, is something uh, that we hope will become possible uh, very soon. But of course, uh, that depends on these ongoing discussions. Uh, there is no issue more important to this government right now uh, than making sure this uh, vaccination programme uh, works effectively and efficiently, uh, that as soon as we have supplies of vaccine, they are used to vaccinate people in the order of priority, of course, set out by the Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation. And uh, the focus of me, the Health Secretary and the entire government is in making sure that all the appropriate steps are taken. Ruth Davison. I thank the First Minister for that answer. Every bit as important as where the vaccination will be stored is where people will be able to get it. The Health Secretary has now suggested that GP surgeries won't be used as hubs in order to allow them to continue operating as usual. This is understandable, but it does leave people needing to know where they will go. The First Minister confirmed to me on the 10th of November that plans were being drawn up for mass vaccination centres, including local ones run by pharmacists. She also told me that she would publish more details in the coming weeks when they had finalised their plans. So is the First Minister now in a position to publish the full list of locations across the country that will be used to administer the vaccine, including those venues opening this month for the vaccinations that are scheduled before Christmas? First Minister. Um, the Health Secretary will make a statement this afternoon and we will shortly uh, be in a position uh, to publish uh, the locations where uh, vaccines will be uh, delivered in this first phase of the programme. Uh, there are still, and I alluded to the main one in my earlier answer, uh, there is still some uncertainty given the particular characteristics of the Pfizer vaccine about the extent to which uh, these vaccines will be movable from uh, the vaccine deployment centres in each NHS board to other locations. And that uh, is a matter that we hope we will get greater clarity around uh, over the, the days and weeks to come. Um, to start with, though, delivery will be close to these vaccine deployment uh, centres, um, and that is, of course, to ensure that we can make maximum use of the first uh, supplies of the vaccine that we get, and that that can be overseen by experienced pharmacy staff. As I've said before, and as the Health Secretary will update on, we are also uh, exploring a number of options around larger vaccination centres. Um, these venues will come on stream later once we have supplies in sufficient quantities uh, to support the uh, establishment of these larger uh, centres. Uh, there will be um, another, a, a number of other uh, possible locations used, and that will include where it is appropriate to uh, primary care settings as well. Uh, so all of these plans, all of these options are uh, there and uh, will be implemented uh, as soon as we get the, the fine detail and clarity of some of the particular issues around the, the characteristics of the vaccines. We are expecting some of these vaccines, and we hope that over uh, the weeks to come, we will see other vaccines get the same authorisation that the Pfizer one did yesterday. Uh, they do not all have identical uh, characteristics and requirements, so we have to be able to flex our plans to take account of the particular characteristics of each of them as they become available, and that's uh, exactly what we'll do. Ruth Davison. Well, the way in which this vaccine is stored and transported means that it will be extremely difficult to bring it to individual care homes, a point acknowledged by the Health Secretary this morning and the First Minister just a moment ago. But Dr Donald McCaskill, the head of Scottish Care, is warning that many care home residents are too frail or vulnerable to be transported to the hubs where the vaccines are. Care home residents and their families have suffered enough through this pandemic and the possibility that promised vaccines could now be delayed is yet another blow. So what now is the plan for Scotland's care home residents who were promised that they would be the first in the queue to receive this vaccine? First Minister. Um, I think it's really important to understand the issues here, and I heard uh, the Prime Minister uh, talk about exactly what I'm going to talk about, because this is not something that is in any way unique to, to Scotland. This is about the particular characteristics of the uh, Pfizer-BioNTech uh, vaccine, and Ruth Davison is right to point to that uh, being mainly about the ultra-low temperatures that it has to be stored at. There is also a requirement with that vaccine for two different agents to be uh, mixed together. So this is something all four nations... I took part in a, a Four Nations uh, call last night where this was one of the issues uh, under discussion. Um, I can't be... Uh, so we will use uh, vaccines as soon as they become available, as closely as possible in line 
uh, with the order of prioritisation that the JCVI have set out. If for the, the first period it is difficult to get the vaccine to care homes, obviously we will use these supplies uh, for NHS and staff who work in care homes. Now, I, this is the bit I and the Prime Minister or the other First Ministers can't be absolutely definitive about right now because discussions are ongoing. I know uh, our pharmaceutical uh, civil servants were discussing with the MHRA uh, yesterday this very point. So even although this may not be possible uh, for this vaccine to be moved to care homes immediately, I remain hopeful, based on the discussions that have happened to date, that that will become possible at an early stage after we start receiving those supplies. And I hope we will have greater clarity on that in the days to come. But just to be very clear, uh, this is not something that is unique to Scotland's uh, vaccination programme. This is an issue that all four nations across the UK uh, have to uh, contend with. And of course, what is absolutely uh, beyond any question is that the safe delivery of this vaccine is an absolute uh, priority and it is in all of our interests to make sure in line with the JCVI uh, advice that we have received that elderly care home residents uh, get vaccinated just as quickly as is possible. Jameson. Finally, Presiding Officer, let me turn to the Scottish Government's longer term plan because the Health Secretary made it clear in a statement less than a fortnight ago that the Scottish Government hoped to complete the vaccination programme in full by spring of next year. However, this morning she told the BBC that it would only be waves one and two of the vaccinations that would be completed by spring, and only after that spring date would we move to vaccinate people under the age of 65. So can I ask the First Minister to clarify which is right? Does she expect all waves of vaccinations to be completed by spring or not? And does she agree that it is critical for the government to set out clear benchmarks to people to avoid raising expectations that cannot be met? First Minister. Uh, we very much hope that what the Health Secretary set out uh, in Parliament, I think the last time she gave a statement here, is what we will be able to deliver. That is what we are working uh, towards. But I have to be in a, I think the point about being uh, clear with people is a very important one. We are uh, still in a position where, you know, we've had the the fantastic news this week of the authorisation to supply uh, the Pfizer vaccine. Uh, there are a number of other vaccines that our overall uh, vaccination programme are dependent on receiving that authorisation and then the supplies of those vaccines flowing in the quantities and at the pace we expect them to. Uh, we have no reasons uh, to feel pessimistic about any of that right now, but obviously these are regulatory processes that we are not in control of. It is important that uh, all of these vaccines go through uh, these very rigorous and robust uh, processes, and that's also an important part of ensuring public confidence. So at every step of the way, uh, as we did yesterday, as soon as we got the news about the Pfizer vaccine, set out our expectations for when the vaccination uh, programme will start, what some of the issues we are grappling with with this first vaccine are, we will do that as soon as these other authorisations for the other vaccines, including, of course, the AstraZeneca Oxford University one, which is uh, the, the one that uh, the, the biggest number of doses uh, in the UK have been uh, procured of. Uh, so we will set out every step of the way clarity to the public, and of course, we will communicate directly with members of the public as well. Thank you. Question to Richard Leonard. Uh, uh, thank you, Presiding Officer. And uh, can I begin by sending our condolences to the family of Maria Fife? Uh, Maria was a pioneer who fought for what she believed in to the very end. Uh, she was an, an inspiration to generations of Labour Party members, me included, and many people beyond. Uh, instrumental in campaigning for this Parliament, she led the Constitutional Convention's Working Party on equal representation of women. We are all in her debt. Uh, we mourn her passing today, but we celebrate her life. Can I turn now to the vaccination programme? We, of course, welcome and join in the news this week that a vaccine will be available in just five days' time. However, we know that the rollout of the flu vaccine this winter has been problematic. Uh, here's what one person told me just yesterday. He said, my personal experience with the current flu jab arrangements is a bad one. No letter of invitation from the health board had come this year by the beginning of November. Uh, wife rings up, offered precisely timed appointments on the 4th of November at a church. Turn up, no record of our appointment. Get vaccinated nevertheless. Staff at church, excellent. Two weeks later, 
get letter of invitation for vaccination. And many people have had the same experience. But this was the experience of world-renowned virologist, Professor Hugh Pennington. We know that the COVID vaccine requires not one but two doses, that they have to be 21 to 28 days apart. So the logistics and administration of delivering this vaccine will be even more critical. So First Minister, are you really going to leave the current Minister for Public Health in charge of this? First Minister. Um, before I uh, respond to the question on vaccine, can I uh, take the opportunity to also express my condolences to the family, um, friends, colleagues, uh, including uh, those in the Labour Party, on the sad passing of Maria Fife. Uh, Richard Leonard uh, rightly said that uh, Maria Fife was an inspiration to colleagues in the Labour Party. Can I say she wasn't just an inspiration to colleagues in the Labour Party? Uh, I, of course, uh, for all of my political life, have been in a different political party, but when I was a young woman starting out in politics, she was one of very few women in the front line of politics and she was a, a feminist icon then that I looked up to, didn't agree with on everything, but very much looked up to and found her example inspirational. And I think many of us, particularly women in politics today, uh, and of course many others, uh, owe her a great debt of gratitude. And I want to pass on my thoughts and condolences to everybody who loved her. Um, on the uh, vaccine uh, point, uh, firstly on, on the flu vaccine, um, the, the flu vaccination programme had to be delivered very differently this year because of the challenges of COVID. Uh, and because of that, I readily acknowledge, as the Health Secretary has done, uh, there were some problems and issues in some NHS boards as that programme uh, rolled out. Uh, steps were taken to address and resolve those, and the flu vaccination uh, programme is uh, now progressing extremely well, and uptake in many of the eligible groups is as high, uh, and indeed higher, as we perhaps would have expected it uh, to be, and that programme uh, will continue to conclusion. In terms of uh, responsibility, for uh, the COVID vaccine and indeed for all aspects of the COVID response, uh, whether it's the health secretary, the public health minister or any minister, we are collectively responsible and engaged in making sure that we respond effectively to, to all aspects of this crisis. Ultimately, on all of these things, of course, the buck stops with me and that is uh, right and proper. But the government is uh, focused intensely on making sure that all of the difficult, and they are very difficult logistical challenges around the COVID uh, vaccination programme are getting the attention they need and merit. Uh, and that as we face challenges with it, as uh, undoubtedly we and other countries will, we address them and get this vaccine uh, to the maximum number of people as quickly as possible. Because it does, uh, for the first time in nine months, give us uh, hope for the future. It gives us that light uh, at the end of the tunnel that all of us have been so desperate to see. So it is vital that it uh, proceeds uh, as quickly as is feasible. And that's the commitment I give. Richard Leonard. Uh, uh, thank you, and uh, thank you for that answer. Certainly, uh, figures for the take-up of the winter flu vaccine have not been published across uh, the whole of Scotland, and it would be useful to see those because the experience I describe uh, is not at all unique. It's quite a common experience uh, that people have been reporting to us over the last uh, few weeks. Uh, but it is in all our interests that as many people as possible receive uh, the COVID-19 vaccine. Public confidence that the vaccine is safe will be critical to that. This vaccine has been tested to the highest possible standards. However, we are already being faced with the spread of dangerous misinformation, which seeks to persuade people otherwise. Every member of this parliament has a role to play in making sure that the public know that the vaccine is safe and encouraging people to come forward and be vaccinated. So, First Minister, what research has your government done on vaccine scepticism in Scotland, do you have a clear plan to counter any scepticism and will you share this plan with Parliament so that we can all be as effective as possible in persuading people that they should be vaccinated? Minister. Um, so the short answer to all of that is yes, but I will uh, go into a little bit more detail, uh, which I'm sure Richard Leonard would want me to do. He is right. Uh, we all have a responsibility to persuade people uh, that they should come forward for vaccination, that it is safe um, and it is in their interest and in our collective interest that the maximum number of people take up this opportunity. He is also right to point out that although uh, this uh, first vaccine to be given authorisation uh, has gone through a process that has been uh, very quick, that is a 
a real credit to the global scientific community and uh, the efforts they have put into getting to this stage. No corners have been cut and everybody would have been able to hear the head of the MHRA say this yesterday, no corners have been cut in the regulatory process. Um, all uh, of the procedures uh, that would normally be followed have been followed and people can have confidence in uh, this vaccine. Um, in terms of research, uh, we uh, do uh, weekly polling to assess uh, public attitudes on a whole range of matters associated with COVID and uh, that will uh, continue to include issues, uh, that will include issues um, of public attitudes to vaccination. Uh, the Health Secretary will be making information available to MSPs, I think, uh, next week, uh, allowing, uh, giving MSPs the information they need to counter uh, some of the myths uh, and misinformation that we can already see on social media um, about vaccination, and we'll keep uh, MSPs up to date as this progresses. Uh, but it is absolutely vital that everybody, uh, us as government, MSPs, uh, as the political leadership of the country, but also the media and social media companies in particular, all take this responsibility very seriously. Um, I'm sure like many colleagues across the chamber, I, will, uh, I am not uh, in one of the, the early priority groups for the vaccine because I'm, I'm not old enough uh, to be in one of these uh, groups. Uh, but as soon as I am eligible to be vaccinated, I will be there with my sleeve rolled up getting vaccinated. And I think all of us have the opportunity to lead by example in that uh, way as well. Richard Leonard. Uh, thank you. Yes, I think we should all get our sleeves rolled up. Um, absolutely. The First Minister accepts that uh, mistakes have been made uh, during the course of this pandemic. And undoubtedly, uh, these mistakes have had consequences, some of them devastating consequences, and none more so than in our care homes. We all appreciate that the practicalities of the Pfizer vaccine make the logistics especially challenging. But the government must have been working on this vaccination plan for months. The Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation believe care home residents should be vaccinated and vaccinated first as a matter of priority. And this morning, Dame Anne Glover, who served as a Chief Scientific Advisor to the Scottish Government, said on care home vaccinations, if we are solution focused, we will find a way to do this. We realise that this is difficult, but will the First Minister commit to a priority programme of vaccination for all care home staff and care home residents and their relatives? And will she publish the government's roadmap with clear dates for when this will be achieved? First Minister. Yes, we will publish all of that and keep uh, Parliament up to date. Uh, the government is responsible for the, the vaccine deployment programme. And as I said a moment ago, the buck for that, as the buck for everything in the Scottish Government, ultimately stops uh, with me. Obviously, uh, and this is just a, a statement of the obvious, uh, we are not uh, in control of which vaccines get authorised first or what the properties and characteristics of those vaccines are. And that is just a, a limitation and constraint that not just the Scottish Government, but the UK Government, the Welsh and Northern Irish Governments are working with as well. Uh, but uh, we are solutions focused. I've referred earlier on um, in this session to discussions that are ongoing uh, between uh, my officials and the MHRA to look at how we get this vaccine from the deployment centres and the ultra low temperature fridges they've got to be stored in to the care homes where they are needed. I cannot say definitively right now when exactly that will happen, but I am reasonably confident that we will find a way of doing that. And even if that is not immediate as of next Tuesday when the programme starts, that that will be, I hope, sooner, much sooner uh, rather than later. So there's a real focus on this. And as I say, it's something that all four governments across the UK uh, are very keen to see a resolution to as quickly as possible. Thank you. Question three, Patrick Harvey. Thank you, Presiding Officer. Naturally, I share the optimism that's been expressed about the vaccine approval, and I offer my sincere thanks to the researchers, regulators, and the many thousands of vaccine trial volunteers who have made this possible. They've given us hope. As well as creating hope, we need to address people's fears, and the fear of eviction during this pandemic has been very real for tenants in Scotland. So I welcome the announcement today that an eviction ban will be put in place. And I commend my colleague Andy Whiteman and campaigners like Levin Rent, who have worked hard to push the government to change position on this. There has been a lot of speculation about the school holidays and different views about the safest thing to do. 
The Education Secretary has said this morning that there is to be no extension to the holidays, despite suggesting earlier in the week that this might be necessary. Last week, the First Minister told me that her government hadn't assessed the potential impacts the Christmas relaxation on the regulations would have. So can I seek some clarity? Does today's announcement now mean that the Scottish Government doesn't believe the loosening of restrictions over the Christmas period could lead to a third wave in January, as public health experts have predicted, and that there is no risk of young people bringing COVID into schools in January, putting each other, their communities and school staff at risk, forcing even more to self-isolate in the new year? First Minister. Um, yeah, thank Patrick Harford for these questions. I, I am never going to stand here and say uh, in, in any sense that there is no risk to the public during a global pandemic. That is why we all have to act in responsible ways, as the overwhelming majority of the public have been, to mitigate those risks as much uh, as possible. Now, we have, uh, I think, from a, a very pragmatic point of view, uh, recognised that over Christmas there may be a tendency for different households to come together uh, more than they would at other times of the year. So we have tried to put some guidance and boundaries around that to keep that as safe as possible, although it will not be risk-free, but be very clear that our advice is where possible people should not interact uh, over Christmas. And I uh, hope that uh, many people, and I know many people I've spoken to, particularly with uh, the prospect of a vaccine so close, uh, understand how important it is to continue to take uh, that mitigating action over, over the Christmas period. Uh, but there are obviously risks at all times of different households coming uh, together. Uh, the, we've considered very carefully uh, the uh, issue of school holidays and we took advice from the subcommittee of the COVID advisory group which the Deputy First Minister has sent to the Education Committee this morning and uh, that advice for those who uh, take the opportunity to read it reflects the fact that this is a difficult decision where there are views on both sides. The, the balanced judgment it uh, has come to and the, the Scottish Government has come to is that the risks of transmission in schools even after the Christmas period um, is not uh, sufficient, that we don't think that is a sufficient risk and we've all gone through before the reasons why uh, we do not think transmission in schools is a big driver of infections, that that risk does not outweigh uh, the risk to children's education of being out of school for uh, longer periods of time. None of these judgments and decisions are straightforward. We take care to think them through very carefully. But I recognise that almost on every single issue here, whatever judgment we come to, there will be people who legitimately and understandably think we should have come to the opposite one. And that is, is regardless of which side of these issues we come down uh, upon. But that is why it is so important for us to continue to stress that we all have to act in a way through our individual behaviour uh, that is reducing as far as possible the risk of this virus spreading from person to person and household to household. Patrick Harvey. Thank you. But it does sound as though the First Minister is recognising the possibility that more young people will have to self-isolate as a result of an increase in the virus in the new year. Young people have already lost a substantial amount of classroom time this year, and many are losing more time every day. It's clear the ship has sailed on any chance of holding exams in a fair and equitable manner as a result of this. This week, the Education Secretary told Parliament that one in four S4 to 6 pupils have already experienced a COVID-related absence. This is causing real anxiety and frustration to thousands of young people across the country, one of whom got in touch with us after having been asked to self-isolate for a third time. She puts it really well. She says, I have followed all the rules and kept the amount of people I have contact with to a minimum. It's incredibly frustrating to have to self-isolate again. It's getting extremely concerning how much school I have missed due to self-isolation. This year is going to be incredibly unfair for anyone who has exams. The Scottish Greens first called for this year's exams to be cancelled in May when it became clear that this would be a year unlike any other. Young people have had experienced enough stress and anxiety this year to last a lifetime. And so, as, as often the case, it's those from the most deprived communities who are being disproportionately affected. So isn't it time that the First Minister gave teachers and young people the clarity they need and accepted that higher and advanced higher exams cannot go ahead in the coming year? First Minister. 
Um, so I recognise everything that Patrick Harvey has, has just said there, and, and these are issues that the government is uh, continuing to think uh, very, very carefully about. Uh, we have set out before, and the Deputy First Minister set it out uh, when we announced our decision on uh, National Fives, um, and has done so subsequently, that we ideally want higher and advanced higher exams to proceed, but the public health advice must allow that, and it must be not just safe to do so, but it must be safe to all learners, and, and we absolutely recognise that. That's why we are monitoring the position closely and continuing to listen to all views on this matter. But on uh, this issue, as on every issue, you will hear different views. The one that Patrick Harvey has expressed is very legitimate, but I have equally been contacted by uh, young people who would express the opposite view, and we have to try to navigate our way through these issues as carefully as possible. Uh, we know there is potential for further disruption, which is why contingency plans for higher and advanced higher courses are being developed, and the Deputy First Minister has made clear that a final decision on higher and advanced hires will be taken no later than mid-February, but it will be taken sooner than that uh, if the evidence suggests that that is the right thing to do. And this is something that the Deputy First Minister is very engaged on uh, on a daily basis. He and I had uh, a discussion about it just yesterday and will continue to do so in the, the days to come. And fairness to learners, to all learners, will absolutely be at the top of the priority list as we continue to consider it. Thank you. Question four, Willie Rennie. I have to agree on, on the exams. On any given day, there are up to 30,000 pupils and 1,500 teachers absent for COVID-related reasons. Some have had to self-isolate for a fortnight multiple times, while others haven't minute, missed a minute of school. That means we need an effective alternative to those higher and advanced higher exams. But to make that happen, teachers and students need plenty of warning. The longer the government waits, the less time teachers have to prepare, the greater the problem becomes. The Welsh Government have decided weeks ago to cancel those exams. So will the First Minister think again and make the decision and cancel those exams now? First Minister. Um, I think if Willie Rennie had listened to my last answer, he would uh, know that the Government is thinking uh, very carefully. I think it's right on all of these things. There are no simple answers on this. And I think as has been evidenced in, in the Parliament over the last nine months, almost on every decision we've taken, rightly and properly, understandably and legitimately, uh, there have been MSPs and people amongst the wider population who've said we should have done the opposite of what we have done. That is in the nature of this. It is important that we take the time to get this right because that matters to all young people. Um, the Deputy First Minister had previously said that uh, mid-February would be the, the last possible date for taking a decision on this. I think there is an argument, a strong argument, that says that we should come to a conclusion in this earlier uh, than mid-February and we are uh, discussing this intensely at the moment. And we will take account of all of the factors uh, that face young people right now, the desire many young people have to sit the exams that they work for, but the uh, understandable concern on the part of uh, many young people that because of self-isolation and the wider disruption of COVID, uh, having to sit an exam would not be fair for them to do. And we will come to a balanced decision um, as, as soon as we think uh, that is appropriate. And in the interim, of course, uh, as I said, I think in uh, response to Patrick Harvey, contingency plans for the higher and advanced higher courses are currently being developed. I, mean, I know the First Minister is thinking hard about these things, but everybody in this Parliament thinks about these things. And I have certainly come to the conclusion that we need to act earlier than February. With the great news about the vaccine, people want to know how restrictions will be eased. As a Liberal, I am nervous about talk of immunity passports to get into shops, restaurants and onto planes. Putting personal information onto large databases has risks to privacy, and the possibility of fraud, hacking and theft. The WHO questioned the value of immunity passports. The UK Government has said it has no plans to introduce them. I want to go further. I think we need guidance. There may be a need to make changes to the law to protect people from misuse. So what is the Scottish Government's policy on immunity passports? Um, I'll come on to that directly, uh, but just to round off on the previous issue, I uh, know that everybody in Parliament thinks uh, seriously about these issues and I, I deeply respect that. Government has to take decisions, though, after we have done 
the thinking. So it is just important, I, I think Willie Rennie is right, that we don't take long, too long to reach these conclusions, but that we do take the time to get to the right conclusions. And, and I just want to assure uh, learners and their parents across the country that that is what we are doing. Um, you, I, I don't know that uh, Willie Rennie or anybody else will have heard me, the Health Secretary, or anybody else talk about the, the prospect of immunity passports. It is not something uh, we plan to do. It's not something uh, we favour. I, as it happens, uh, would share uh, some of the philosophical and ethical objections to it uh, that Willie Rennie has just articulated. But there are also practical issues. One of the things we don't yet know about the vaccine that's just been authorised, or indeed any of these vaccines, is the extent to which they prevent transmission of COVID, uh, we uh, know uh, from the trials of the Pfizer vaccine that they, they suppress the illness of people uh, with it, so they stop people getting seriously ill. But we won't know for some time until the vaccine starts to be used whether they actually prevent onward transmission. So the very concept from a practical point of view of saying just because you have had the vaccine, you cannot pass it on to somebody else it is flawed as well. So we have uh, no plans to introduce immunity passports, just as we have no plans to make uh, vaccination compulsory, um, although we will uh, strongly encourage uh, maximum take-up of the vaccine. Uh, we will always consider whether there are legal changes uh, necessary to support the policy position, but I think perhaps the, the starting point is for all, is, all of us across the chamber, if it is the position of everybody across the chamber, I don't know that obviously, is just to make clear it's not something that this parliament um, is contemplating at all. Thank you. Question number five, Stuart McMillan. Thanks, Trainer. Also, to ask the First Minister, how many people have been cautioned by Police Scotland for travelling between areas with higher and lower COVID-19 restriction levels since the current legislation was passed? First Minister. Well, firstly, let me say, as I've said before, we want to uh, see these laws work through high levels of public compliance rather than la relying on enforcement. That said, Police Scotland will uphold the law using the same approach they've adopted since the start of the pandemic. Uh, operational matters, of course, are for uh, the Chief Constable. Uh, however, Police Scotland has reported that to date, uh, while there have been high levels of compliance, uh, the most recent data indicates that up to and including the 25th of November, there were 33 fixed penalty notices issued under the travel regulations. I thank the First Minister for that reply. I've been contacted by many constituents about shops, and my constituents have been busier than usual. Some of, uh, some of the, those people who work in the retail sector have indicated they've had customers clearly from out with their Winberclyde employers. I welcome the fact that retail outlets will be busier than usual at this time of year. Uh, people cannot certainly travel to shop uh, and are thankfully supporting uh, the local economy. I have concerns about people travelling to Winberclyde unnecessarily, placing additional risks on my constituents. Can the First Minister reiterate the message about uh, non-essential travel? And secondly, what additional resource can be given to Police Scotland and Inverclyde to in increase the random checks of retail outlets and customers to help catch those breaking the rules? First Minister. Um, can I thank Stuart McMillan for his question? It, it remains vitally important that members of the public continue to observe physical distancing, wear face coverings and of course, of course avoid non-essential travel uh, into or from level three or level four areas. Uh, the need to restrict travel across the country uh, is even more important now uh, in the battle to reduce transmission rates uh, because we don't want to take the virus from high to low prevalence areas and I would again ask people to take personal responsibilities, I think the vast majority of people are doing, to do the right thing. And always to remember that the purpose of all of these restrictions, which none of us enjoy living under, is to protect the NHS and save lives by preventing the virus from spreading. Deployment of resources is, of course, a matter for the Chief Constable, uh, but I am confident, uh, based on experience so far throughout this pandemic, that if officers encounter any instances of uh, non-essential travel or breach of uh, any other regulations uh, relating to COVID, they will continue to deal uh, with these issues appropriately. Thank you. Question six, Jeremy Balfour. Uh, thank you, President Officer. To ask the First Minister how the Scottish Government plans to mitigate the impact of any reduction in services due to COVID-19 pandemic on the life and mental wellbeing of disabled people. First Minister. Uh, well, firstly, I think it's important to recognise that disabled people have been disproportionately affected uh, by the pandemic. Uh, and during uh, this time, it's critical that people's social care support is maintained to ensure 
their safety, their dignity and their human rights. Uh, the recently published Adult Social Care Winter Preparedness Plan makes clear that the transmission risk of restarting some support services must be balanced with ensuring that social care packages allow people to live uh, fulfilling uh, lives and get the support that they need. Uh, back in October, we also published the Mental Health Transition and Recovery Plan, which lays out uh, a response to the mental health impacts of COVID. Uh, those with long-term physical conditions and disabilities are a key population group identified in that plan and we outlined a number of commitments, uh, for example, ensuring that those who require clinical treatment in response to mental uh, illness are able to access timely and effective support. Jeremy Balfour. As the First Minister will be aware, today is the United Nations Day for Persons with Disabilities. Prior to the pandemic, disabled people were already more likely to experience damage to their well-being caused by social isolation. With many disabled people ex experiencing a reduction or total withdrawal of social care support and the closure of day centres, surely that social isolation must have become much more widespread and acute. Has the Scottish Government done anything to address and mitigate the social isolation that disabled people are experiencing today? First Minister. Well, can I thank Jeremy Balfour for raising an important issue and uh, for reminding us uh, that today is the UN Day for Disabled People and this year's theme uh, is Not All Disabilities Are Visible and I think that shines a light on the challenges uh, disabled people face in their day-to-day -day lives uh, but especially the difficulties disabled people uh, have been facing during uh, the pandemic. Uh, it is important, as I said in my initial answer, that notwithstanding the challenges that COVID presents, uh, that care packages are delivered uh, to allow people to live their lives in the way they have uh, a right to do. Uh, in terms of the action the government has been taking, we've been working closely with a number of disabled people's organisations to uh, both understand the impact of COVID on disabled people and develop solutions uh, to help with that. Uh, we've made funding available uh, directly to uh, organisations supporting uh, disabled people and many of those organisations themselves have been doing absolutely brilliant work uh, and I would commend them for that uh, and give a commitment that the Scottish Government will continue to work closely uh, to do everything we can to support them. Thank you. Question 7, Alec Rowley. Presiding officer, to ask the First Minister what the Scottish Government's response is to the IPPR Scotland research suggesting that youth unemployment could reach over 100,000 in the coming months the highest level since records began. First Minister. Well, the research from IPPR Scotland has already been really valuable in informing a response to addressing youth unemployment. It's important to note, though, that since uh, that report was published, we've seen revised unemployment forecasts, uh, not least uh, because of the extension of the furlough scheme. And of course, we're now facing more economic uncertainty with the impending prospect of the end of the Brexit transition period. So we continue to be determined to do everything we can to ensure the prospects of all young people are protected and are not uh, permanently damaged by COVID. Uh, last month, we set out uh, how the young person's guarantee will be delivered to create more opportunities for young people. Uh, we will work closely with them, with employers, local government, trade unions, uh, the third sector and others to respond as the situation develops. And that will include initiatives like the £15 million funding for apprenticeship recruitment and £10 million funding for pathways to apprenticeships, which uh, I announced earlier this week. Alec Rowley. I thank the First Minister for that answer and I very much welcome every measure being taken to support young people through this period. Can I ask, in terms of building back from COVID, will the Government bring forward more detailed plans to address the unacceptable levels of fuel poverty in Scotland and for a national house building programme to once and for all tackle Scotland's housing crisis, both of which will create thousands of apprenticeships and tens of thousands of jobs in Scotland. First Minister. Um, yes, we will continue uh, to do all of that. Uh, fuel poverty remains something uh, that needs to be challenged and, uh, and tackled, and the Scottish Government is doing that. I announced earlier in the week uh, a £100 million uh, winter support package for people on low incomes, which will include the £100 cash grant uh, to families with children in receipt of free school meals, which they will get before uh, Christmas. But uh, that overall package also included funding to help people who are struggling to pay their fuel bills, and that is just one 
outline of, of many uh, ways in which the Scottish Government is seeking to do that. Uh, we also saw an announcement uh, earlier this week of additional funding into, uh, to support our affordable housing programme. We've uh, delivered almost 100,000 uh, affordable homes since this Government uh, took office, uh, and we uh, always see a housing programme as being first and foremost about delivering homes for people to live in. But Alec Rowley is right that it is also a good way of generating economic activity um, and jobs. And that's why we will continue to invest strongly in affordable and social housing uh, going into the next parliament, just as we have done um, in the course of this parliament. Thank you. We turn now to some supplementary questions. David Torrance to be followed by Liam Kerr. Thank you, President Officer. To ask the First Minister what support the Scottish Government can give to a BIFAB workforce and any parties interested in investing in the yards following this morning's news that the company has filed for administration. First Minister. Can I thank David Torrance uh, for raising this really important issue? I uh, deeply regret and I'm deeply disappointed about uh, this morning's developments. I know this is a deeply worrying time for uh, workers uh, and everybody associated with BIFAB, and I want to give an assurance and a commitment that the Scottish Government will continue to do everything we can uh, to support a positive future. Uh, we've worked hard in the past to avoid the closure of BIFAB. Uh, that includes significant uh, investment in equity and loan facilities on the part of the Scottish Government. We are a minority shareholder in BIFAB and we will continue to work even uh, now to secure uh, the future. As any government does, though, we have to do that within the law. Uh, if there was more we could have done within the law to avert uh, what has happened today, we would have done that. It would have made no sense for us not to do that. We were not able legally to provide uh, the additional support that BIFAB was uh, seeking. Had the majority shareholder been prepared to invest, uh, that may have been different. But we will now work with administrators, with trade unions uh, and with others to try to secure a positive future uh, for BIFAB. That's what we've always been committed to and we remain just as committed to it now. Liam Kerr to be followed by Polly McNeill. Thank you, Presiding Officer. I remind the Chamber I'm a practising solicitor. On Monday, several bar associations took strike action over the legal aid system and the future of the legal profession. In October, an SNP minister told me that the reason for the reduction in both the number of young lawyers wishing to do defence work and the number of criminal law firms was due to, quote, the fall in reported crime over several years. We know from government statistics recorded crime is at a five-year high, so that answer would appear to be incorrect. Does the First Minister agree that the actual reason for these reductions is inadequate support from the SNP government? First Minister. Um, I, I'm not immediately familiar with the comments that have been quoted, although I will uh, take time to, to look at them. As a, uh, I used to be a practising uh, lawyer, although uh, many, many, many years ago, um, I uh, obviously want to see us uh, have, uh, and we do have a strong legal aid system uh, for all the reasons uh, that that is important. I understand, uh, and the government understands, how difficult this current situation is uh, for those in the legal profession, as it is for people in uh, professions and sectors right across the economy. We have uh, taken a number of steps to try to uh, support uh, lawyers and uh, the legal profession generally, and we will continue to do so over this really difficult time. Polly McNeill to be followed by Bruce Crawford. Presiding officer, I declare my membership of GMB Scotland, who represent Centrica British gas workers who have been threatened with sweeping and unwanted changes to their terms and conditions, and threats to hire and rehire if they don't agree to this. If this proceeds, it will send out entirely the wrong message at a time where we need to create fairness at work, where good jobs are hard to come by. First Minister Mark Drakeford called on Centrica to remove the threat to fire its entire 20,000-strong workforce and rehire it significantly on reduced terms. So I asked the First Minister, could she make the same call on Centrica to get round the negotiating table and treat their workforce better? First Minister. I, I have no hesitation in making that call of any employer that they should be round the table with their workforce, with fair work, absolutely the heart of uh, the approach that they take. And uh, at any time, uh, but particularly during these difficult times, uh, fairness for workers should uh, be a priority for, for every business. This is a, a tough time for businesses of all shapes and sizes in all sectors, and I recognise that. Uh, but uh, businesses uh, tend not uh, to be able to operate successfully without the commitment of their workforces and therefore treating their workforces fairly is of paramount importance and we will always continue uh, to do what we can to support in any appropriate way we can uh, these kinds uh, of constructive discussions but I would call on Centrica to get round the table uh, and try to come to uh, decent and fair agreements uh, with their workforce. 
Bruce Crawford, to be followed by Alex Burnett. Thank you, President Officer. First Minister, I'm aware that the Scottish Government is considering what further support can be provided to spectator sports to help them get through the winter period. But can I ask the First Minister, does she understand that football clubs and others are deeply concerned about the loss of vital income because no fans are currently coming through the gates, particularly, I should say, those football clubs outside the top five or six who receive very little by way of finance from TV companies? Therefore, can the First Minister also let me know what progress is being made in regard to any potential funding packages, because the situation is becoming very precarious for some clubs. First Minister. Uh, the Scottish Government is currently uh, working to develop and finalise a support package for Scottish spectator sport, and we hope to be able to outline that, outline that very shortly. We also welcome the recent announcement of a UK Government support scheme for sports uh, impacted by the loss of spectators uh, during COVID uh, during uh, this winter. Uh, we don't yet have clarity on Barnet consequentials that will flow from that. The uh, sports minister raised this uh, earlier this week at uh, a UK sport cabinet, but there isn't yet an answer. However, notwithstanding that, we will continue to engage with sporting bodies whose revenue is impacted, and we hope to bring uh, this support package to fruition in the very near future, and Parliament will be updated uh, as normal. Alexander Burnett, to be followed by Colin Smith. Uh, thank you, Presiding Officer, and I note members to my register of interest related to tourism. Now, many businesses in Tier 2, which can open, are none, nevertheless losing revenue due to travel restrictions resulting in high cancellations. So will the First Minister commit to backing my colleague Douglas Ross's call for a rapid review into the grant system to ensure that businesses affected indirectly by restrictions are able to access funding over winter period? First Minister. We, we will always uh, consider uh, any proposals for how we uh, provide support better or differently, but the grant system already provides uh, access to uh, support for businesses that don't have to close but are affected uh, by travel restrictions. I absolutely understand uh, the impact on revenue uh, for businesses in all sectors, but particularly the tourism sector uh, that comes from uh, the, the travel restrictions that are in place. I would say, though, and I know this is uh, a, a tough one for any businesses, uh, right now, but if we didn't have those restrictions and levels of the virus increased as a result, the impact on revenues would probably be even greater and even uh, longer lasting. That's the, uh, the reality of the situation we face. We also have had the Tourism Task Force, the uh, Cabinet discussed uh, the recommendations and our response to the recommendations from it uh, at its meeting this week, and the Tourism Minister will be setting out uh, some proposals uh, very shortly. So we will continue to do whatever we can to support businesses in the tourist, uh, tourism sector, uh, they are undoubtedly one of the sectors most hard hit uh, by what we are all living through. Colin Smith to be followed by Bob Doris. Thank you, President Officer. Scotland's coach operators are facing a real cliff edge with thousands of jobs on the line. 80 per cent of their income derives from tourism. But despite the tough restrictions we have heard about in hospitality, travel and the challenges of social distancing, coach companies were excluded from the recent restriction funds from the government and, unlike bus and rail operators, have received no sector-specific support. Now, more than a month ago, the Northern Ireland government announced a package of specific support for their coach operators. So can I ask the First Minister if she will do the same for Scotland's coach operators to help them face this looming financial crisis and help protect the thousands of jobs that are on the line? First Minister. I will happily uh, look at uh, the uh, initiative uh, that the member refers to in Northern Ireland, and if uh, there is more support uh, we can give for any sector, we will do that if it is practical and if we are able to do it within our resources. Uh, the coach sector has uh, had an extremely difficult time, uh, and I understand uh, why this is being raised. Of course, we have also made uh, discretionary uh, funding available to local authorities uh, for them to decide whether there are particular sectors that they think uh, require uh, help outside the grant uh, structure that we have put in place. But we will continue, uh, as I have already said on a number of different uh, occasions today, whether for sport uh, uh, or for tourism businesses, we will continue to look at uh, those parts of the economy that perhaps have not had the support that they would uh, have wanted and look to see whether we can do more. And uh, I will look at the specific suggestion that has been raised. Bob Doris, to be followed by Rachel Hamilton. Presiding officer, as the Member of Parliament serving Mary Hill, can I add my condolences to Maria Fife's family and the wider Labour community for their sad loss? First Minister, I have been contacted by several constituents who are taxi drivers. They have seen their income melt away as COVID-19 restrictions continue to impact on the communities that we all represent. 
Tax drivers were encouraged by the First Minister's recent announcement that they will be able to claim funds through the Scottish Government via local councils. But can the First Minister update me on details of when payments are likely to be made, what the criteria is likely to look like, and when the first payments are likely to arrive in the bank accounts of taxi drivers who are very hard-pressed at this time? First Minister. Discretionary fund, which I've uh, just alluded to in my previous answer, is specifically designed to target small businesses and the self-employed, and that very much includes taxi drivers who have not uh, received direct financial support uh, through other financial support schemes since October. We have been working with local authorities to develop uh, the detail of the discretionary fund to ensure uh, that this additional financial support will quickly reach businesses uh, that need it. Uh, we have now reached agreement uh, on allocations with COSLA, which will allow, uh, allow that funding to start uh, to flow uh, to local authorities and allow local authorities to start to assess the applications based on the need. Um, and that will, I, I hope, in the very near Near future allow money to start to flow to uh, not just taxi uh, drivers but other small or self-employed uh, operations uh, that need this kind of support. Thank you. Rachel Hamilton to be followed by Jackie Bailey. Thank you, Presiding Officer. Last week the SNP Government overruled a key recommendation of the Warrity Report and announced they will issue licenses to grouse malls before the suggested five-year probationary period has ended. This decision risks an industry worth £350 million annually to an already precarious Scottish economy and puts at jeopardy jobs and livelihoods in rural areas like mine in the constituency of Ettrick Rocks from Berwickshire. Scotch Conservatives value the role that grouse shooting plays in Scotland's rural communities, economy and natural environment. So, First Minister, please explain to rural communities why the SNP have ignored their own research and gone against the evidence. Well, actually, in considering uh, the response to the report, we actually took account of a range of different reports and evidence that included evidence heard by the Environment uh, Committee of this Parliament. Uh, the Minister set out our overall response to the Weddity Report uh, last week, and that included the recommendation to introduce the licensing of grouse moor businesses. Uh, of course, the response also covered the other recommendations in the report. Uh, we do not think it is practical or appropriate to wait for a further five years to assess uh, raptor populations before introducing licensing as the review recommended. There is a pressing need, uh, and much more pressing than that timescale uh, would allow to address problems around raptor persecution now. Uh, I think waiting five years before deciding to act could then lead to taking eight years or longer before legislation is completed and a licensing system is implemented. So, you know, I appreciate not everybody will agree with that, but we think the problem of raptor persecution now demands action more quickly than that, and that is why we have committed to take action more quickly than that. Thank you. Jackie Bailey, to be followed by Richard Lyle. On Friday last week, staff in the Fruin and Catron dementia wards at the Vale of Leven Hospital were told by their managers that the wards would be closing and patients would be transferred to Glasgow. And I'm sure the First Minister would agree that that would be very disruptive to dementia patients, but this was because a locum consultant contract was ending. Can I welcome the very positive intervention of the Cabinet Secretary for Health and ask the First Minister to confirm that every effort will be made to secure consultant cover to the, the wards remain open. First Minister. Uh, yes, I give that commitment. I uh, remember uh, very fondly actually visiting uh, the Fruin and Catron wards in the Villa Leven when I was Health Secretary, when at that time there was concern over their future and we worked with the Health Board to make sure that the, these wards uh, were protected and remain open to this day all these years later. So that commitment is there. Uh, cover has now been secured uh, to take away any short-term uh, risk to the ability of these wards to, to stay open and, and cater for the patients who depend on them. And there is that long-term commitment that uh, the Government has and I know uh, the Health Board is committed to as well. Richard Lyle to be followed by Alex Cole-Hamilton. Thank you, Presiding Officer. First Minister, as we marked Small Business Saturday this weekend, in a year that has been especially tough on small businesses, can the First Minister outline what the Scottish Government is doing to encourage and support people to buy and enjoy locally sourced Scottish products by shopping locally? First Minister. 
take this opportunity to encourage people where they can to shop locally, to support local high street businesses and, of course, uh, where they can and where it's appropriate uh, to buy Scottish produce. Uh, of course, there uh, remain 11 local authority areas where non-essential retail is, is currently closed. Um, those restrictions will be lifted on the 11th of December. But as we go into the Christmas period um, and as we hopefully start to come out of the COVID crisis, this is an opportunity for all of us to support local businesses uh, as often and as much as we can. And I uh, certainly encourage people across the country to do that uh, up to Christmas and after that as well. And Alec Hamilton. Thank you very much, Presiding Officer. My constituent Hazel and her husband are both doctors. Between them, they are working four of the five days of lockdown relaxation over Christmas. She has elderly parents in Northern Ireland and her mum has advanced dementia. She's only seen them once this year and has cancelled several trips due to COVID restrictions. When it became clear that there, were, there would be some allowance for movement over the festive period, she hoped to visit them for her dad's birthday on the 29th and to stay for New Year, but now they cannot. We are repeatedly told that COVID isn't taking Christmas off. Well, nor are doctors, ITU nurses, police officers or soldiers. So can I ask the First Minister if her government will allow those working on the front line this Christmas the opportunity to take their five days slightly later so that they can have some comfort and joy that is being offered to the rest of the nation? First Minister. Um, I really, really, really wish I could. Um, and I'm, I'm not going to uh, be about the bush here we have had to take and continue to have to take really difficult decisions um, firstly my uh, heartfelt thanks to Hazel uh, I think uh, member said his constituent was and, and her partner for the incredible work that they and others working in the front line of our health and social care services have have done we we simply have to restrict this as much as possible and that is a conclusion that all governments across the UK have, have come to. Um, I know it seems on the face of it why, why wouldn't we allow some people those working hard on the front line to take these flexibilities at other points but if we allow different parts of the population uh, to interact at different times we are creating a bigger risk of, of the virus transmitting uh, more rapidly and that's why we, we cannot design uh, these flexibilities, which we are encouraging people only to use if absolutely necessary anyway, in a bespoke way, taking account of individual circumstances. And I deeply and bitterly regret that. I, I really, really do. Uh, what I would say is that part of the, the motivation for trying to keep things as tight as possible is for uh, the sake of those working on the front line of our NHS, because they bear the brunt uh, if COVID cases start to rise. And the last thing I would say, which I don't expect to be of any immediate comfort to people in Hazel's uh, position, uh, but as we go through this Christmas, difficult it, it will be for, for many, many people across the country. Uh, we have to keep our eyes fixed on that light uh, that the vaccine uh, offers us uh, in the hope that soon, hopefully by spring, by Easter, we will all be having much more normality in visiting our families and our loved ones across Scotland and even when they perhaps live out of Scotland. That's a really tough message and I hate having to stand here and say this. Uh, every fibre of me hates that, but it's important that I'm straight with people and straight uh, with people about the reasons for having to communicate these really tough things, particularly at this time of year. Thank you very much. And that concludes First Minister's questions. Parliament is suspended until 2.30. Thank you.